There's nothing that can power up your marketing than asking your customers the right questions. It often holds the key to unlocking the next level of growth. Katya Rabova, founder of SMM Headquarters, uses three powerful questions to help subscription-based businesses uncover actionable insights and identify growth opportunities. In episode 60 of the Marketing Pop Show, you learn first of all, Katya's three customer questions for unlocking growth. Second, how to make people feel comfortable during customer interviews. Third, how marketing teams can stay ethical while driving growth. Power up, and number four, a power-up that has accelerated Katja's career. Now, before we get started, I created a free power-up cheat sheet that you can download and use Katja's three questions for unlocking growth. Get it now at marketingpowerups.com or find the link in the show notes and description. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing power-ups. Ready? Go! Here's your host, Bradley John. God, yeah, I'm super excited to chat with you about research and marketing and ethics uh, and really like digging into uh, your experience here around marketing and, and your background in research. Before we jump in, I know you're like a, a big fan of customer research. I've already had a few folks come on the show. Um, you know, we talked about Claire Solentrop about customer research, but like I just want to reiterate this for people who are listening why customer research is so powerful and so useful for people who are like, you know, marketers who are tuning in here, maybe just like, why is it so important to you? Why is it, why should marketers care about customer research? Customer research for me is a way to remove assumptions from the equation. Maybe not completely, but I think the biggest, uh, mistake we make, maybe mistake or misconception that we have is that a lot of decisions that we make about strategy, about, about growth, about tactics, even they're all based on some assumptions that we make about the customers, about the product, about behavior, um, you know, based on what we learn from, from, from other people, from other marketers. And I think assumptions are inevitable. Uh, there, we, we can never know everything. Uh, we will have to make educated guesses. Sometimes that's okay. But when we rely on them too much, that's where we kind of enter that theoretical th- territory where we think something might work, but then it doesn't, and we don't know why. And customer research brings, bring, brings us closer to the customer, you know, sort of like, duh, Captain Obvious. <laughs> um, uh, but also, we need to keep in mind that we're serving the customer, ultimately. With, with marketing, we're trying to bridge the, the gap between the product and the customer. And we, we're trying to bring the product that will serve the customer to the customer that will benefit from it the most. So we really need to understand what's important to that customer, to that elusive ideal customer profile that we're trying to reach. And what better way to do it than going directly to the customer we're trying to understand? Mm-hmm. I think um, there is this idea that that research is a big scary thing that you know takes a while. It's it's long. It's expensive. It can be. It can be as long and as expensive and time consuming as you want to make it. But there are also ways to make it more manageable and still make it work for you. So you can still learn what you need to learn and uh, operate not just on assumptions, which again are inevitable, but also complement that with the knowledge that you get from the customer. It just works. It just works better. It's like stumbling in the dark versus having a bit of a flashlight, you know, illuminating your way. Again, you won't be able to see the whole room, uh, maybe, but you can 
shine the light on different things and, and figure out where to go from there. Find the door. I love that analogy. Just like, would you rather like walk through the dark and try to feel your way through? Maybe if you are familiar with the space, you could, but like, if you can have like a flashlight, like why not, you know, <laughs> why not? And it's, like... not, it's not to say that you will find the door in the dark. You know, you could be in a room that you're familiar with, you know, as a seasoned marketer, you know, we still, we, we have, we know, we know a lot, you know, we know what works broadly, you know, we all understand, uh, you know, various tactical, various channels, you know, they change a lot, obviously, but we, we have a lot of knowledge that we draw on and that, and that's where, again, we, we draw on assumptions because we, we based, based them on something, but so you can't stumble to the correct solution. Um, and, and find the door, but it, it could take you longer. You could, you know, have a few bumps and bruises uh, on your legs if you kind of catch the table corner. And if you and you have a if you have a light to eliminate your way, it just would be more straightforward and probably easier. Not a guarantee. Maybe it's a fake door, but <laughs> that happens as well. <laughs> I don't want to pretend that you know it would work. It's um, it's a hundred percent solution to everything because it's not as much as I would love to, to claim that if only you do, did research, you, all your problems would be solved. Not the case. Um, but it does make a lot of things easier. Decision-making specifically. That, yeah, of course. And you won't bump your, get bruised. Hopefully it, it minimizes you bruising your legs, you know, so yeah. to speak, uh, yeah, especially in today's market where, you know, you, things are changing fast. Economy's changing, um, market's changing companies are changing, budgets are changing. So I think that's even more important that even if you have it figured out, like it, things can move and the room gets rearranged if we like double click on this analogy. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's that, that's a great point as well. You know, what furniture was around yesterday may not be in the same position today. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what kind of room we're talking about anymore, but I know, right? Yeah. Living room, <laughs> change it every quarter, yeah. you know, the quarter, uh, the, the the TV moves or something else. I think another part to this analogy is it depends on what kind of flashlight you have. You can have like a, you know, depending on your approach, your flashlight could be like really weak or like you can have, not you, I'm not sure if you've seen this thing on YouTube or TikTok or whatever, where like it's the brightest flashlight in the world where like you shine it to the sky and you can like, it looks like the it's day at night, but I have not seen it. It sounds cool. I will, I will send it to you. Maybe I'll link it in the show notes as, as well. But I, I think the point is like, there are certain questions that can really illuminate, uh, so to speak, <laughs> double clicking on this analogy okay. that can help people like really get more insights. I love what you shared on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago. Like there was these three questions. Um, I, let's go I would love to dig into to them because I haven't really seen it before and I'm like wow I haven't asked that to my to our customers here at Apkis before uh, one sure. of them so I will go to all three the first one is <laughs> what does XYZ mean to you and you were talking about how what does you know whatever they were saying it's easy to use or something like that because it, it could it could really depend what's easy to me might be different for your easy and and something else. Is, is, can you talk a little bit more about um, that first question? Yeah, that that was so. That question I think was the only one I really wanted to share, and the other two I was trying to think. Okay, what else can what what other questions help me along that that you might not think about necessarily? And 
So when I run customer interviews, I usually follow the jobs to be done approach to trying to understand what's important to the customer. So I'm trying to understand what struggle they have before they came to the product that I'm interviewing them about, uh, what motivated them to solve that, that struggle. Uh, maybe if there was a trigger that, that propelled them to take action and to seek better solution than sticking with what they had before. And, and once they found the product, you know, what motivated them to keep trying it, uh, what gave them that initial value and how their lives changed. Sounds really grand, but you know, we do look at what that desired outcome looks like with, with the product, because we, um, we do like to interview customers that actually love the product, love paying for it and yes. unimagine, um, you know, going without it, no matter how, how small or, you know, how, um, functional, uh, that, um, product is. So, so those questions, I mean, I share them a lot and they're, they're fairly straightforward. You can ask them in different ways, but, um, if you are a fan of jobs to be done approach, like I am, you would know them, you know, what did you do before? You know, what, what made you make, make that choice? You know, what motivated you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, but when you actually come to, to the actual interview with an actual human being, of course, people have different ways to describe things. Um, they have different vocabulary to describe what, you know, uh, their journey, you know, the, the way they talk about it, the way they talk about, uh, their experience. And a lot of the times people use words that we don't really dig into there. We kind of intuitively understand what they mean. Um, but we also, but if we think about them a little bit deeper and a little bit longer, we would, we would see that it can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. So easy to use as one is, is a perfect example because when we talk to people in SaaS in, um, about software, easy to use comes up 99.99% of the time, um, right. easy to use and, 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 um, uh, time saving, or, you know, if, if you talk about right. issues, like time consuming mm. and, and this is where this question becomes so important to ask because you want to understand, well, you know, for the lack of a better phrasing, you know, what does easy to use mean to you? Does it mean that you don't have to go through five steps um, in the product to get a specific number that, that you're, you need to look at? Does it mean the interface is pleasing visually and you sort of intuitively understand where you need to, where you need to click to, to accomplish a task? And I'm just, I'm, I'm just spitballing because again, really depends on the product and really depends on what the person is describing. Um, a lot of people think in terms of um, comparing that to a worse solution that they tried um, before, mm. where they say, "Oh, it was clunky, it was it was hard to use," and and then you you start asking, you know, what what was hard about it? You know, it took long, or maybe maybe the font was too small. You know, it it could be it could be a lot of different things, and if you don't dig into that, you end up at, during the analysis. Uh, stage of of the research process, you just end up with basically ten interviews that tell you the same thing on the surface. They say, "Oh, the product is easy to use," which is not meaningful because you know for three of those people, easy to use meant the interface was again, you know, attractive or whatever it is that they meant, and for four, it meant that they didn't go through you know five steps to get to a specific thing. So those are functionally completely different. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but but if you didn't ask, you would just kind of stick with, well, well, that was easy. What's easy? I mean, you're not staples, right? <laughs> so, I like well, that. And, and again, so those two examples, you know, time-consuming and easy to use, they're just because they come up so often, just because people, I think people's minds just jump straight to, okay, it saves me time and it it just... The, pro- the process was frictionless. Well, and I just refer it's easy to use as frictionless, mm. which to me could mean something different, different. than it could mean you, for example. Right. So, yeah. so it's important to ask that. It also helps when the person is struggling to explain um, what it is they're getting out of the product because not, not every person is able to. Mm. Um, of course, it depends on what kind of product you're, you're researching. If it's a highly technical, um, developer-oriented um, software, then you would, you're likely to get a very detailed, specific answer. Uh, you know, what was, um, what was hard about their previous solution, you know, what, what they could change, you know, what they're looking for in their ideal one. But if you're talking about something, you know, lower key, maybe, maybe like, like a scheduling tool, let's say Calendly, I mean, Calendly has grown a lot now. It's, it's, it's a lot more robust than it was when I started using it, for example. It was very, very straightforward when, um, when I started using it first. And, uh, you know, people could, could really struggle to explain you know, what, was, what was easy, you know, what, what easy meant to them when, when it came to Calendly, for example. Right. So it's, it's super important to ask that. I like that you're really... It goes back to what you mentioned earlier, like the, the the power of customer research is you're trying to dispel or like uh, confirm your, your assumptions. And somebody saying it's easy to use, the researcher or the marketer who's asking that uh, has assumptions as to what it means. And you mentioned frictionless. And that's like the assumption that that, um, that that person has about that. And like really digging into that uh, can really help. Um, really be more specific about about what they're explaining about that. And that could be powerful information to use in emails or marketing copy or other places rather than just like, our product is easy to use. It could be like, our product is, I'm not sure, whatever that person says easy to use means yeah. rather than just like a, uh, a generic term. If they said it, um, it took me two steps instead of seven, mm. You can say in your copy and say, take five steps out of the equation, get stuff done faster. Or I mean, so that's a bit of a cliche too, but um, that's the idea. Instead right. of saying easy, easy to use because yeah, everyone says that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I mean, that, that specificity kind of leads to the second question you asked about like specific examples. I think that's, it seems like they're tied to each other or like, you know, what does specifically XYZ or this term means to you? And can you give an example? So now they're like really getting into like, what, you know, okay, you said it was frictionless. Tell me about that. What is an example of that? Is that, is that second example really like what that means? It's yeah. tied to that first question. That second question is also very helpful if, if they're having trouble with the first question. Mm. Because sometimes, again, sometimes people don't, don't have the language to describe. Uh, their experience, no matter how hard you try. Um, and um, in, the, in that regard, it's helpful to suggest that they give you an example so that when you analyze the example, you can sort of figure out what was in that example that made the difference to them. It can complement the first question. It can also act as a, as a substitute if they're struggling um, 
even explaining what what right. something means specifically to them. Uh, but but taken together, they they should give you a very good picture of of, of that term you're trying to kind of analyze and and um, uh, deconstruct is the verb I'm looking for. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And and I think that's super important because they might say like it's frictionless, and then they walk you through the example, and you're like, oh, actually, that's another term. That's another value point that they're they're walking through. You're talking about. It, it could be complementary or substitute or, you know, you could find other values that there are uh, no jobs to be done or, or um, things that they're finding important through that example itself. And that's why it's important to do ask that second question. Yes. And often, often people, when they start giving examples and when they start um, also just trying to explain what they mean by, you know, easy to use or whatever it is. Um, that we're talking about, they actually end up going way deeper than just beyond, you know, saving time and um, uh, it being not complicated. Um, especially when they give examples, you, you realize that this is actually not about saving time at all. This is about something completely different that they just didn't mention because it didn't occur to them, maybe. And whether they realize it or not, they're giving you a really important insight. Right. That you can then add to when when you analyze, you can add that to the themes, even if you specifically didn't ask them, okay, you just mentioned um, a third value to you. You don't necessarily have to point it out. As long as they give it to you, you can just move on because you just got what you needed. Exactly. That's so cool. I, I like that. That's a really important uh, point of view there as well. I think the other valuable thing here is like, I mean, if they're already in the product, you can actually, it's almost like, a little bit of um, not user testing, but you're like UX testing, where like you're actually seeing them like click around and see if they, you know, them using the product itself can be super helpful as well. As to like maybe they have suggestions for improvements there at that point as well. I have actually never asked people to do that. Oh, do they just say the story or they don't share the screen? No, oh. I I don't I don't want them to. I want them to tell me what they remember. So of course here here it's important to to only target people for those sort of in-depth interviews that are actually involved in the product uh, at the frequency you want them to be involved. You want them to know the product deeply and care for it about it. Um, so, so they so they have like a good idea of what's important. You know they're in it regularly, whether that be daily or monthly, doesn't matter what they, like what whatever makes sense for the product, but. I want them to talk about what comes to mind first because that's what's important. Mm. Because we're, when if they're in the product and if they're clicking around as we're talking, there could be things that pop up that, that they appreciate. Like, oh, by the way, this is cool. And they get distracted. <laughs> but, they would, but they would not bring it up if we were talking about uh, the product, you know, kind of removed from, from, from the direct experience in the moment because it's not something that's ultimately that important to them that they would continue paying for it. It's like nice to have. And it would be nice for me to know that they find that this feature is cool, but mm. it's not necessarily actionable in, in, in the short term because I'm really looking to understand the big theme. Like what, what is so important that he would talk about it all day long um, about the value and, and how excited you were when you, when you had that aha moment in the product for the first time and you realized, yes, this is something I need and something I'm going to be doing. Um, we're really looking for those bigger, big, exactly. big realizations that I think being directly in the product kind of takes away from that. But yeah. um, I like that point. But again, that's kind of venturing into the realm of the UX testing that is is a bit different, and it's uh, makes sense. It's an yeah. art of its own. Yeah, 
you make a really good point here about uh, that you want to be talking to fans, the fans of the product, people who are like your best customers, essentially. And um, that's something that, you know, for people tuning in like this, these questions are ones that how, how would you, yeah, I mean, that's probably a question I would ask you, like who, who, who would you be asking these questions to? And I'm, I'm guessing it's your best customers, but what that's applying this, what does best customers mean? If that so was the answer? Best customers, again, this is with a caveat that again, every product is different and it depends the favorite two words of every marketer, but we like, we would like to talk to people who are paying for the product. Because we want, we want to talk to people that actually made that decision to pull out the credit card and go through the pain of payment to, to use whatever it is that the product offers because it's important enough to them. We also want them to be fairly recent so that they actually remember the first experience of using the product and also remember what it was like before they had the product. And that recency can actually vary a lot. So, you know, um, you often hear saying, uh, three months, you know, signed up, uh, four months, five months, depending on the product, it could be as long as a year. It really, really depends, but you do want to talk to people that have preferably used the most recent iteration of your product. You're not, you're not talking to the, your very, very first customer that signed up with you five years ago, um, with your MVP version and stuck around because they happened to be matching the ideal customer profile and, and they still love it. I mean, you probably would cherish them as your first customer, but their experience is not the same as the experience of someone signing up for the product for the first time, you know, say in the last month, mm. because the product changes and you want to make, you want to have a glimpse of what it's like for the users right now. Um, in, 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 uh, with how your product exists right now, not how it was a year ago or two years ago, because, right. because products change. Yeah. Um, some change faster than others. So if you iterate really rapidly and if you roll out version after version after version, some it would probably make not, no sense to talk to people who signed up two months ago. But again, really different. That, I like that. They're, so they're paying customers that's recent. Um, you know, I, and when I say recent, it depends on the product. Like it could, it could really depend on the uh, how often the change of the product happens. But like you don't want it to be like they've been customer for like, 10 years, so to speak. Is that what yeah. I mean? And it, again, it, it really depends on what you're trying to learn through the research. Mm -hmm. If, if we're talking about that, you know, the jobs to be done approach, you know, uh, zeroing in on what the ideal customer wants and needs, then recency is important. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example where you would want to talk to someone who's been around for 10 years. Mm. Maybe not for the purpose of this. Um, yeah, no, it, it, it would have to be something different for sure. Yeah. Um, and something else to keep in mind is that if your product is complex and serves different uh, types of customers, you could get fancy with, uh, with really what customers nice. you target. Right. You could maybe you want to look at customers who are paying at a higher tier only. Yeah. Maybe, you want to maybe you want to learn from a specific uh, user base that maybe is using your, a specific um, tier of your product because you're, you're interested in expanding. Maybe you want to exclude people who are at the lowest pr pricing tier, because maybe you're thinking of, um, going into freemium and you just, you want to make sure that you keep the really important features paid. For example, maybe if you, if you want to go into enterprise, 
that, well, that gets tricky. If you don't have enterprise customers, you're sort of guessing at this point. So you really need to look at what you're trying to achieve and how complex your product is. But that makes sense. Yeah. But you also need enough customers to learn from. So if you're just starting out and if you have 50 customers total, I would just talk to everyone. Well, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't run 50 interviews to be clear, <laughs> but I would I would survey all 50 customers and then talk to uh, 9 or 10. Mm, makes sense. I like that. I like that approach. Uh, I want to get into the third question. Uh, it says, what would you like to add anything I didn't ask? Would you, would you like to add anything I didn't ask? I think that's just uh, um, if you, it's a it's a great way to like learn if they they if there's something else that they want to chat about is what I'm guessing from this. Any yeah. like broad strokes. It's a it's a really good way to end the interview and make sure that you cover something that they might find important to think about or to talk to mention. Sorry, I don't think about to mention to you that might not necessarily be in the scope of research at all. But do you you we do want to make them feel heard? And they might have important feedback. They might have a compliment to your team, which I actually find happens a lot. You know, if they're, nice. if they're a fan, they, yeah. they very often they, they compliment the support, for example, or they, they say nice things. And that's, that always looks nice in their research report. You know, I like to put like little quotes uh, uh, slide at the end to see like what nice things were, were said about, about you. Um, I think the teams appreciate that as well. And, and sometimes, sometimes it's, it's, uh, complaints about maybe te technical difficulties or some, some sort of issue. And that's just, it's important to ask because it's also important. If it's important enough, um, I can always pass it on to the, to the actual team, uh, to flag. Um, a lot of the times they say that they actually are aware of it because the customer has already, um, got in touch with them about that. It, yeah, but it it's mostly there to make sure that you um, you make it clear that it's not just for you to learn from them. It's also a chance for them to share something that that it's important that they want to share. And a lot of the times they say, no, we, we covered a lot of ground and I don't have anything to add. Thank you very much. Mm. So it's it's not a it's not a time waster by any means. It's just it is a nice way to to end the interview on a very open note where you're giving them a chance to talk about whatever they want to talk about. And I think that's important. The last part, the uh, one of the things you mentioned about like it makes them feel heard. Where like here's here you can say whatever you want now. <laughs> Feedback, compliment, uh, questions, uh, anything, anything else you want to add. And I uh, I feel like that's uh, you know some of some of my best memories of like one-on-ones with a manager usually ends with like um, we've covered all of our agenda items is there anything else would you like to talk about anything else family and i feel like oh okay i i feel it, it feels good <laughs> i guess if that makes sense and i and i feel like it's it's also important for for anyone you know being on the interviewer side to make sure that they feel comfortable enough to share throughout the interview um, because if they can't feel like they can speak openly, they might not share important insight. Um, so in this regard, me being an independent consultant and researcher helps a lot because when I talk to customers, I say, I work with the team. I don't work for them. Mm. So you can share whatever you yes, want with honest. me. It's not, you're not <laughs> going to hurt my feeling. Um, it's not my product. It's, uh, it's their product. They will they will learn about it because, you know, that's the whole point of us being here. But you can you can be very open with me and uh, a lot of people appreciate it. So having that report is important. 
And then at the end, when you, when you, again, when you're wrapping up, that just sort of solidifies it because you, you show them that you do, you are interested, not just in the questions that you have, but also in what they have to say beyond that. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. That makes sense. I like that. Uh, that thank you for sharing those three, three three questions. I feel like they're something that I'm gonna start implementing in, into my own practice. I know one other topic you wanted to talk about marketing is around the ethics of marketing and research. I'm curious, like what um, what you, you know, what what are those things that people need to consider when mm -hmm. their uh, you know ethical approach to marketing and, and customer research and and even in growth. I think as a researcher, I think about ethics a lot. And in the academic setting for research, it's been really entrenched that you have to, every study you, you conduct has to be done ethically and there are specific guidelines and, um, and rules around it. I think, I think for marketing, uh, being ethical, it means being principled and kind of standing by your values. And I, and I actually realized that, um, People, not all people are more, are driven by, by, by values. And what I mean by that is that for some people, it's important to, like, they have really defined a value stance or a moral stance on, on, on a range of issues. And some people do not. And I don't think one is worse or better than the other. I just think some people find it harder to not be driven by values or, or whether in their work or in their professional life. So. It is going, it, it's very rapidly become like a really philosophical discussion, I think. And when you talk about ethics, especially in marketing, it is in a way philosophical. And also, I think it's important to talk about like, what is actually like, what do we mean by ethical marketing? And if you Google ethical marketing, you will find a definition. And because I actually did that out of curiosity and it's defined as the marketing approach, um, that is driven by principles, integrity, commitment to transparency and like good stuff like that. But apparently that was also tied to the, to the actual marketing strategy and tactics. So you kind of, you, you infuse your messaging with it. You position yourself as a, as an ethical brand, which is not what I think about when, right. when I think about ethical marketing, to me, it's more internal and it, it is making the decision um, about what you are not going to do when, when you're growing your product, when you're growing your company, because I think ethics, e ethics to me are all about what you're not doing, what you're choosing not to do. Yeah. And, and I think ethics is, is, is another guardrail that you put around your strategy that is necessarily going to be limiting in a way, but also will help you focus a bit more. And I think focus is like <laughs> Focus is where success comes in because the more focused you are, especially in marketing, especially for, for growth purposes, the, the easier it becomes. That makes sense. I think that's so important. Um, you know, like what are things you're not going to do if you're faced with that situation? Uh, and people don't think about that enough, especially if I think we mentioned around values, having clear values should guide uh, those, like, does it, if it doesn't fit in our, in our values, then it shouldn't be something that we would do or say, or, you know, approach no matter how painful it could be. I think it's, it's kind of the opposite of growth at all costs, mm. which I think, I think we're transitioning out of it now, yeah. given where, 
where we are in this year, 2023, but growth at all costs, like, I think we will agree that growth at all costs is no longer something that, that we want to do collectively as marketers. Um, but also I think it's, it's also as much about making that decision. Okay. Yeah, exactly what we're not doing. And if, even if it's defined as, as broadly as, okay, we're not going to be growing at all costs. That to me is already eth like ethics. Like you, you're trying to put some ethical angle, um, in, um, to your marketing, to your future strategy. I like that. That makes sense. Uh, you know, it really is something that, um, as marketers that we need to be thinking a lot more, especially with things that are changing. I want to shift gears one last time. Uh, and talk about career power-ups. You're yeah. the founder and co-consultant at SMS, SMM headquarters, and you previously were the marketing director at accounting and bookkeeping uh, startup. I'm curious what's helped you, you know, and, and before that you were a researcher at University of Toronto. I'm curious what's a career power-up that's helped ac accelerate you, your career, or like giving you a leg up in terms of like your your journey so far? I think what helped it was my flexibility and the desire uh, to change and shift gears when something wasn't quite working. And looking back at um, at me uh, working for for that bookkeeping startup, I made all of the mistakes you would expect the marketer to make. Yeah. And I think me operating on assumptions was a hundred percent. Uh, well, maybe 99% uh, root cause of um, all the mistakes. And and again, looking back, because it was a while ago, um, I didn't know what I didn't know. And now I know what I didn't know. And I would never, obviously would never go back to that, to that place of not knowing. And I wish, I wish I, um, I found uh, the, that customer research in marketing um, approach sooner than, than I did, but, yeah. but what brought me from, from there to here was that kind of search on what would actually be working for me as a, as a professional, what, where I could make a difference in marketing, what kind of marketing I wanted to do, uh, what kind of marketing I wasn't willing to do as well, because, um, my consultancy is called SMM headquarters because I started off as a social media marketer when I decided to start something of my own. Um, and I decided to keep the name there because it's just just a name. But, and, and I think so, um, not to be too verbose about it, but I think the marketing power-up was that the flexibility that um, I, I, had the, I had the opportunity to try different things and keep iterating on what I could offer. Um, that brought me to where I am now. Because again, I, as a marketer, went through so many so many versions um, of what I could offer, you know, from social media to to Google Ads to paid acquisition strategy in general to to customer research to customer led growth, um, and now here we here we are talking about product marketing and ethics and 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 all the good stuff and, and not making assumptions. That's so good. It ties back to what we were talking about earlier about like you know why you do customer research is to you know, help you with your assumptions. It's been, uh, and, and everything we talked about, like ties to this around like, you know, knowing what to do and not to do is super important as a, as a marketer and really like exploring things and, and trying it out. 
uh, with that. It's exactly what I heard that has helped you with your career. Yeah, exactly. And always, always learning through all mistakes, unfortunately. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers. You can go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the three best frameworks that top marketers use to hit their KPIs consistently and wow their colleagues. I want to say thank you to you for listening and please like and follow Marketing Power-Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you feel extra generous, kind of leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a comment on YouTube. It goes a long way in others finding out about Marketing Power-Ups. Thanks to Mary Sullivan for creating the artwork and design. And thank you to Faisal Kaigo for editing the intro video. And of course, thank you for listening. That's all for now. Have a powered update. Marketing Power-Ups. Until the next episode...